Aging Matters on WERA is brought to you in part by Synergy Home Care. Synergy Home Care provides premier in-home care for you or your loved one throughout Northern Virginia, including personal care, homemaker services, companion and memory care, and transportation. Call 703-558-3435 or visit SynergyHomeCare.com for more information. Synergy Home Care will find a care solution to meet your needs. Good afternoon and welcome to Aging Matters on Arlington Independent Media's community radio station, WERALP Arlington, 96.7 FM. I'm Cheryl Beversdorf, your host. Global climate change has already had observable effects on the environment and caused increased stress on the world's citizens. Action is needed to stop greenhouse gas emissions, transform the economy, and build a sustainable future. Thousands of elder climate activists are working together to end the climate crisis and build a just and sustainable future for our children, our grandchildren, and all children. My guests today are David Mogg and Jan Greenberg, volunteers with an organization called Elders Climate Action, also known as ECA. They will talk about what ECA volunteers are currently doing to address issues related to climate change. And they'll also discuss ways everyone can reduce the devastating effects of climate change and make better choices as informed citizens. So welcome, David and Jan, and thanks for joining me today. Thank you, Cheryl. Welcome to you. Okay. All right. Well, uh, David, let's start with you. Explain to us what is Elders Climate Action, also known as ECA. Little little background. When was it established? Where is it located? And who belongs to the organization? I've been involved with Elders Climate Action since its founding, back in uh, back in 2014. It it arises out of the uh, uh, Elders Action Network, which is an umbrella organization. Uh, that sought to engage elders in sharing their skills and their knowledge and their wisdom uh, with the rest of the world in one way or another. That was their, their overriding aspiration. Uh, it was a very small group at the beginning, about 10 people that founded the uh, Elders Action Network. And they gathered at their first meeting in California uh, in 2014 to talk about what they would do and how they would approach it. And there was a gentleman at that meeting, his name is Paul Severance, who was concerned about climate change. And Paul suggested that he would organize a group that would address climate change. And so that was the origin of Elders Climate Action. My own engagement with it began in 2015 when they (laughs) announced their first annual meeting um, and it was held right here in Washington, D.C., so it was very convenient for me, living across the river in Arlington, to, uh, to attend that meeting. <clears throat> and as an attendee at the meeting, which had luminaries, including uh, <clears throat> the 
the the uh, the scientist whose name is escaping me at the moment, uh, 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 Jim Hansen. Sorry, <clears throat> Jim Hansen, who was uh, one of the one of the leading scientists who alerted the world uh, and and Congress to the threat of climate change. Uh, <clears throat> I was impressed by the uh, by the talks, by the mission as expressed uh, by by the people associated with it, and um, and I've been involved ever since. In fact, I got involved uh, in organizing two subsequent national meetings, in-person meetings here in Washington, uh, held um, on the campus of the uh, uh, Law School of American University, where one of uh, one of our members knew Jamie Raskin. In fact, it was Jamie Raskin's mother. Uh, some of you may know that Jamie Raskin uh, is a lawyer and, and taught law. And I think he still does um, at American University. So that's, uh, that's the origins of, of ECA and, and of my own engagement uh, with it. As to who belongs to the organization, it's just anyone who is, shares concern about, about the future. Um, it's really not limited to age, although most of us who are active volunteers are, are retirees. Okay, well, that that was kind of my next question, David and, and Jan, both of you. Are elders the primary members of this group? Are, are other generations also involved? David, we'll start with you. Well, other, other generations are definitely involved. We have a strong outreach to, to the younger generation. Uh, and, and the organization partners with uh, members of that generation because they have so much energy. Um, <clears throat> as, as, so in, in terms of, of actual membership and people who get our announcements and so on, uh, the younger generation is certainly a smaller segment of, of, that, of that group. But as I, as I just said, we seek to engage with the younger generation and partner with them. Okay, Jan, did you have anything to add about that? Yeah, um, I don't know that ECA had anything uh, thought, thought about this um, when they were formed. I've only been involved for maybe two years, um, but um, I always drew on the fact that the indigenous population in this country have um, many of the, the different groups have a core value themselves of that you um, are responsible for the next seven generations and for uh, caring for them and for the earth. So um, I think that that has to be part of the, re the reason why this uh, group involves people of all ages, younger people. And um, also they're the ones who are going to uh, be start taking charge as they grow. So it only makes sense to involve them. And so I'm going to kind of combine a couple of questions. And first of all, maybe one or both of you can talk about the mission of the organization and the core values. And then based on what you just said, Jan, I was wondering if that ECA also has taken, and I noticed this on the website, about anti-racism and equity and justice. So maybe you could kind of combine 
uh, one or the other of you about the mission and why also you have gotten into the anti-racism or ECA has gotten into the anti-racism, equity and justice issues as well. Well, I'll start by just simply reading the mission statement off the website. Uh, and then Jan, you can pick it up from there. The mission of Elders Climate Action is to mobilize elders throughout the United States to address climate change while there is still time to protect the well-being of our grandchildren and future generations. We are dedicated to using the power of our caring, our wisdom, and our numbers to push for strong policies that will reduce greenhouse gases in our atmosphere to a level consistent with life thriving on our planet. Okay. And Jan, you want to kind of follow up on that then with um, about anti-racism and equity and justice? Well, you know, um, our country is composed of many different kinds of people. Um, and uh, we have a long history in our country of um, anti of racism. And um, we we're all people, so we have to include everybody. And we have to take a stand against the injustices that we have in this country. Um, we, um, and, and the fact is also that because of the injustices, much of the pollution um, is in places where people of color live. So um, that increases their health problems and um, the ease with which they can live. So I'd, I'd say we all have a um, responsibility for that, all of us um, wonderful white folks. And Jan, uh, help us on this also as to why and how does uh, ECA support global youth climate activists? Well, I'm not sure I know all of the ways except um, I know that there's, there's a partnership with Moms Clean Air Force, which is an organized group of mothers um, and parents um, climate for, for climate action. Um, also, we make an effort to, um, to be aware of what's going on with the youth climate and um, with, with the youth climate action folks and um, make liaisons with them. I don't know. I don't know that I know a whole lot more how to say anything about that. Well, I think it sounds like there's really a, a broad uh, number of individuals of all generations and all cultures and um all races involved with that. So, David, let's move on. What I'd like to hear more about is what, what is the process to determine what policies uh, ECA supports? Or given how many different groups there are that are involved with this, does each faction bring their own uh, interests to the table? Or what's, what's that process for determining what ECA is going to support? Well, as you can imagine, uh, for an organization that uh, is involves upwards of 10,000 people at the moment who are spread throughout the United States, um, 
those individuals all bring their own perspective to what's going on in the organization. Uh, there is a, a, a policy committee, I'm not part of that committee, uh, that meets regularly to uh, review the policies of the organization and determine whether it, those policies need to be uh, updated. So there, there are published policies uh, for, the, uh, for the organization in terms of how it will partner with others. Um, uh, certainly one of the policy things that gets reiterated over and over again is that ECA is a nonpartisan organization. It is <clears throat> therefore not involved in lobbying for one party or the other. Uh, it, it is bipartisan, it encourages bipartisanship, it encourages bipartisan solutions to the problems that we face in the environment. <clears throat> uh, <clears throat> so, well, there is our policies that govern the broader organization, the national organization. There are also policies that govern the chapters. Uh, ECA has been in the process over the last couple of years of establishing local chapters. Uh, the local chapters get involved in state and local matters and their members uh, gather and uh, consider the, the policies that, uh, that will be implemented. Uh, this, since the chapters are, are at this point smaller and tend to have less than 50 people, <laughs> I think the policy setting uh, can be done just by a conversation on occasion. It doesn't require the same level of consideration that the national organization has. Well, you bring up, up a good point, David, about the chapter, and I did notice that also on the website. Maybe we could pause here and you could just tell us what uh, about the Virginia chapter. I, I'm, is there a Virginia chapter? And um, if people were interested, where would they be able to contact you or your colleagues about joining or at least getting more information? Well, in this area, we begun uh, three or four years ago uh, to establish a, a chapter in the Maryland District and Virginia area, the DMV chapter. Um, and that, that has grown. Uh, it has a very strong representation from Montgomery County. Um, Montgomery County ha has had a, a local group of 350.org. Uh, they call themselves 350MOCO. And that, uh, that organization uh, drew a lot, of, uh, a lot of environmentalists into itself, including a lot of environmental elders. Uh, and as a result, that, uh, that group, the Montgomery County group has been dominant in the DMV chapter. The Northern Virginia chapter has, uh, doesn't, it doesn't exist in a formal sense yet. Um, we've been involved, Jan and I have been involved in efforts to bring in enough people from Northern Virginia who are interested in forming a, a separate chapter. Uh, and we've had a meeting, and in fact, it was uh, hosted at our house uh, back in January before the pandemic. It was a personal meeting. Uh, and that, that attracted about 12 people. Uh, and, it, and we probably would have an active and formal chapter now had it not been for the pandemic that kind of set us, set us back. Um, <clears throat> but there's been renewed interest, including uh, an expression of uh, an interest in uh, leadership of the, of the Northern Virginia chapter um, 
by, by at least one individual. And uh, uh, my wife, Gloria, who has also been very active, uh, <clears throat> has talked about figuring out how to get us together and Zoom uh, in, uh, in January or February at the latest. And if if you don't have it right now, maybe you could give us the uh, give the listeners the website address of how to contact um, Elders Climate Action. Do you have that right now, or do you want to look that up? Uh, if the if the listeners are, are interested in doing that, they certainly are welcome to do so. We would encourage them to to do it. it all they need to do really is to go to go to a, a search engine, Google and put in elders climate action, uh, those three words and it'll, it'll, it'll pop up and they can go to the website and uh, uh, the website will give them an opportunity to express interest. In fact, uh, uh, there's, there's a place where they can uh, indicate their interests if they want to be more active as a volunteer. And that will be picked up by an individual and will be alerted to the fact that, they, that they're interested and will be in touch with them personally. Okay. Well, David, let's get back to the examples of policies. Uh, I'm sure there are many, many. Can you just give me uh, one or two or maybe three policies that ECA supports or that are really your priorities right now? Well, the priorities of the organization (laughs) in the last four months, to be honest with you, uh, have been uh, to get out the vote. because it was clearly understood by the organization that, um, that we needed to have a change in national leadership uh, if, if we were going to be able to move the kinds of things that uh, we as an organization have been uh, supporting. Uh, our strongest relationship uh, from the very beginning has been with an, an, another organization known as Citizens Climate Lobby. Uh, Citizens Climate Lobby has uh, had a very single-minded focus at looking at ways to price carbon uh, uh, to uh, uh, use that pricing uh, as a as a mechanism for getting the point across uh, about uh, the the costs. They don't refer to it as a tax because uh, carbon tax word tax is the third whale of politics. Um, and they uh, use the word carbon fee. And, and then the other part of their proposal is that that carbon fee be collected um, not, by, not by the government from individuals, uh, but rather by the government from the producers of coal, the producers of oil, and the producers of natural gas. And that money would flow to the government mm-hmm. And it would be redistributed as a dividend to every American over the age of 18. The thought was that monies collected would be going back to people and that the people who would benefit the most would be the people who use the least, often because they're the poorest uh, uh, individuals. And then they could Obviously, people could use that money in any way that they wished, and one way they might decide to use that money would be to um, become more energy efficient by insulating their home, or becoming more energy efficient by buying a car, an, another car that gets 
better mileage than the ones they happen to own. So that, in terms of uh, in terms of the kinds of connections and the policy of, of looking at ways of um, of pricing carbon <clears throat> to move us forward into an alternative energy future, um, is a, is certainly an example that I would want everyone to know about. Okay. And did you want to give another example, or is this really kind of the priority since the election is over now? Is that really what your organization is focusing on, or was there some other policy that you wanted to, to mention? Well, I, I think the, the, the other area that has really grown up has been looking for ways in which we can do the reverse. Instead of putting carbon in the air, uh, what are the ways of removing carbon? And um, agriculture uh, seems to be a very good opportunity for that. Uh, <clears throat> so there's been a lot of interest in regenerative, what's known as regenerative agriculture. And uh, I, th I think that's an area that Jan knows quite a bit about. and She might be willing to elaborate on that. Okay, well, that's a good segue. I wanted to ask Jan, uh, David mentioned another group that ECA is partnering with. Um, you could, and we could get back to that. Would you like to talk a little bit more about that, Jan? Or I also wanted to find out with, as you work with these different groups, is this usually on a local or a state or a national level or all three or does it vary depending on the, the issue or the policy that you're working on? Talk a little bit more about that, Jan, kind of what the process is in terms of working together and on what levels and on what policies. Um, okay. Well, first of all, I, I'd like to say that the, um, the, the chapter that we have locally, it's the, and David, you got, um, I couldn't hear you for a few back when you first started to talk about that. So maybe you said it and I didn't hear, but we really, it's a, it's a tri-area local chapter because it's all, it's fledgling. And um, <clears throat> so none, I, I think Maryland probably is more, but none of the three jurisdictions are yet ready to form their own chapter. There aren't enough people, but so we, we meet together and try to work on things together and listen to people um, talk about their ideas. And um, Gloria has, has um, been starting to work more with, with this. Um, let's see. So I'm trying to think. The Citizens Climate Lobby that David was talking about, uh, that is a, a national organization also with local chapters. <clears throat> and David had introduced me to them uh, last year, I think. And um, they, they um, always invite us to all of their, any of their events. They do um, calling, calling legislatures, legislators um, monthly to remind them in Virginia about um, supporting the carbon dividend tax and um, I don't know if David does, but I do that every month. That's one of the few things that I've been like doing regularly and not airing on. So <laughs> nobody ever picks up the phone, but you, you always leave a message. What was the other part of what you wanted? Well, I, 
I was just kind of wondering, Jan, if like you as a volunteer, do you go and educate the legislators, say down in Richmond, since you both both of you live in uh, in Virginia? What level of government do you work with as a volunteer? Help us on that. Yes. Well, um, I think there are opportunities for all three of those things. But myself, um, I am working more on the local level, and I am very interested in regenerative agriculture. But for the whole ECA, oh, and then, and then um, I remembered another function that environmental climate action, I mean, elders climate action has, <clears throat> which is elders for a safe and fair election. So they do work on that. But at the local level, there are many opportunities to um, partner with the county or talk with the county, find out what's going on. Um, I think we're beginning to get a hang, the hang of, of how to maybe make that aware to people who, who joined Elders Climate Action in this area. Yeah, I'd just like to jump in with an example um, on the regenerative agriculture notion. A lot of what Elders Climate Action is doing is trying to educate elders. And uh, locally, the local group uh, had an occasion to visit a uh, regenerative agriculture effort um, in Bowie, Maryland. Um, <clears throat> it's called, I believe, Forest Farm. And it's, a, it's a, been running for about eight years. Uh, and Jan was on that visit along with myself. And uh, she may want to add to this, but what's Remarkable there is the uh, the owner of the farm pointed out that uh, this area used to be all forest, um, and that it is uh, it is primed to be forest land. Um, where and so the effort uh, he's making is to show that there are ways to uh, do farming that doesn't require you to clear cut everything and uh, cutting down all the trees. And in fact, his belief is that there is a definite advantage to integrate both forestry and farming into one operation. Um, and uh, I learned a lot on that visit. I'm, um, I'm a physical scientist myself. I have a PhD in chemistry. Um, <clears throat> so I know, I know the, the physical science as well. I don't know the biological sciences and ecology very much. So, so for me, it was just a fascinating uh, visit. And, uh, I learned a lot there about the potential that integrated farming uh, has for capturing carbon. Okay, well, um, let's let's take a break right now. We need to take a break uh, for an important message, and then we can talk more about these the the topic that you were talking about, David and Jan, and also how we can be much more conscientious about climate. So, just wanted to let. Our listeners know we're talking with David Mogg and Jan Greenberg, who are volunteers with Elders Climate Action. And you are listening to WERALP Arlington 96.7 FM. We'll be right back. Aging Matters is brought to you in part by Kathy Corridan, Senior Real Estate Specialist. Kathy is a realtor with KW Metro Center in Alexandria and works with seniors in Alexandria, Arlington, and D.C. to make selling their home and moving less stressful and more successful. 
More information is available at 703-971-7237 or ccatkw at gmail.com. Welcome back. We are talking with David Mogg and Jan Greenberg, volunteers with an organization called Elders Climate Action. We spent the first part of the program talking about this organization and how they educate legislators and consumers about the various policies. But I think it's really important for all of us to learn how to be more responsible citizens as we try to save our planet. And so, David, I'm going to start with you and we'll be going back and forth about some of the practices that we should be more aware of and also what you are sharing with others uh, as volunteers. So we'll start with you, David. How can older adults and families switch to 100% green power? That's a good good question, Cheryl. Um, and one of the advantages of participating in uh, the activities of Elders Climate Action is that, uh, especially if you're part of a chapter, you can uh, then, in, in your gatherings, over Zoom or in person with uh, um, others who are concerned about this, you can share ideas, you can share experience. And so some of us, for example, have been involved with the green power movement uh, for a very long time. In our own case, uh, I, my wife and I have been involved for 20 years. And uh, <clears throat> what the way green power works is that you find a way, well, there, certainly, the, <laughs> certainly the clearest way is, is, is to install solar panels on your own home uh, and to be uh, off the grid, so to speak, by having, uh, having your own solar panels. And now batteries are available so that you can uh, be... Uh, charging your batteries during the day using solar or wind um, <clears throat> in anticipation of the uh, sun going down or the wind dying away. Uh, you can be completely self-sufficient in terms of electric power for your home uh, and now for your, uh, for your car. Uh, <clears throat> but the other alternative is to, is to put, uh, uh, your, in, instead of putting the panels on your, on your own home, uh, be supporting the panels that are being put in a large arrays. Uh, and certainly anybody who's taken any trips out of town recently has noticed that farmland where there, are, uh, where there are big arrays with hundreds of solar panels. Um, and one, one way then to have green power is to be taxing yourself uh, by sending a proportion of your, of your bill uh, not to in other words, you, you always pay your utility. So in our case, we're supplied by Dominion. Uh, <clears throat> we're always paying our bill to Dominion, but we are also adding to that, uh, in our case, about $10 a month uh, that will go to an organization that is in the process of investing in and building out uh, wind turbines and solar panels. Early in my time, we were doing that through an organization uh, called Community Energy, which was actually based uh, uh, in Pennsylvania. Because at that time, there was no, no way to do it in Virginia itself. And then a few years ago, Dominion uh, Energy, probably with prodding from the government, uh, from the state, 
began to offer its uh, its customers the opportunity to just do it as part of uh, a part of the Dominion bill, and uh, we've uh, we've been doing that uh, for about the last five years, and uh, it it's uh, it's comforting to uh, to know uh, that every time we send our bill to Dominion, there's that additional money that's going to um, help build out the future of uh, alternative energy, either wind or solar power, <clears throat> or uh, in the Dominion uh, uh, portfolio, it also includes nuclear. Uh, some people have problems with nuclear, I personally don't, uh, <clears throat> and uh, biofuels. So that's, that's the way we're doing it. And, um, and, and I would encourage uh, individuals who uh, are listening to this program who haven't considered that as a way that they can participate in the, in the building out of the better energy future, uh, simply by adding a little bit onto their monthly electricity bill. We've really come to the realization that every single person is a consumer and their consumer choices can uh, either help or harm the planet. I, I just mentioned plastics. We probably will get to that, uh, the problems associated with plastics, uh, and certainly food. Your food choices have a lot to do with the planet. And I think we'll probably get to that before this program's over. Well, and I just wanted to have you very briefly, because as I said, we got a lot of questions here. Just tell us why it's important to save energy. Well, uh, I have to say from my scientific hat, with my scientific hat on, that we, uh, we can't, really, can't really save energy. What we can do is we can use energy more efficiently. And so it's really energy efficiency that we're, that we're looking at. And uh, the advantage of finding ways to use energy more efficiently is, is that um, it, it, A, saves us money because we're paying less for it, whatever the source, whether it's fossil fuel or alternative energy. So there's, there's no harm, there's never any harm in taking actions that will reduce the amount of energy that you're using for whatever, whatever purpose. A simple example, of course, is driving your car. If you're driving a car that gets 25 miles to the gallon, you're using twice as much energy to get from here to there than if you're driving a Prius uh, that gets 50 miles to the gallon. <clears throat> what's, what's the harm in that? That's a good thing. Uh, I, I'm just uh, always astonished by people who uh, are concerned about uh, uh, using uh, increasing fuel efficiency and who insist on driving the muscle cars that, that uh, waste uh, um, uh, a lot of energy <clears throat> and wasted energy and the scientific view on that, any wasted energy ends up as heat in the environment, which doesn't help with global warming. Okay, well, let's, let's get on to some of these other uh, issues. Jan, let's start with the protecting forests and planting more trees. I think you kind of mentioned it in the first part of the show, but Explain about that, and then we'll ask you things that David had mentioned already about your diet and plastic. But let's start with uh, protecting forests and planting more trees. Well, number one, they're beautiful, and they give us a lot of pleasure. 
to be able to sit quietly in a place with lots of trees and other beautiful things. But um, more importantly, <clears throat> they um, provide a place for carbon to be sequestered. That means put back into the earth after it's been taken out. And um, the more trees that we have, the more shade we have, the more shade we have, <coughs> the um, less hot our communities will be, especially in the cities. Um, they, they're also um, are a part of the whole circle of life as it be, which <coughs> means that um, if, if we have more trees, more forests, then um, there is more uh, wildlife that's maintained and uh, that is healthier for all of us. Okay. Well, that's, that certainly sums it up. Talk a little bit also, Jan, about greeting your diet and help us understand what that means. And does, and, and what about eating less meat? Uh, I think food is, since David mentioned that, and I'm sure that's true, um, explain a little bit more about what that would mean. Well, that means um, that you have more um, plant-based diet. In other words, that more of what you eat comes directly from the ground. Um, it, it, it applies to um, your health as well as the the climate, and they're interrelated, of course. And the part about eating less meat has to do with the fact that the production of meat involves the production of a lot of methane, and um, <clears throat> that um, is polluting to the environment. And it's uh, it takes up a lot of land. Less meat we eat, then uh, the less need there is for animals to to use up land and to produce methane. Okay. And the third area, what about plastics? We certainly have heard a lot about that. Why is it pre preferable to avoid plastics wherever possible? <laughs> not, not an easy thing to do. We are a, a completely plastic um, world at this point in time. But plastic does not um, disintegrate. Uh, takes hundreds and hundreds of years for plastic to disintegrate. And um, it has probably almost everybody is aware of oceans of being having islands of plastic in them. They are, the plastic um, hurts wildlife. Um, but, but yeah, the, the biggest thing is with it, with plastic is that it doesn't disintegrate. It takes years and years and years and years. So any plastic that we use, we throw it away. Um, and it's almost impossible to recycle all of it. And in fact, um, recycling has not been working very well for plastic. And uh, there are many places in the world where <clears throat> the United States anyway has in the past, um, taken their garbage and created uh, a lot of pollution in um, third world countries. 
Well, we definitely need to be aware of using less plastic and more paper and and other products. So, and we hear that a lot. There's some other issues too to uh, talk about. David, I've heard the expression, own less, share more. What does that mean? Well, again, uh, we're we're consumers. And uh, the question is, uh, are we compulsive consumers? And certainly there are people who who have a psychological problem in terms of their compulsions. I've read about people who buy stuff and end up never even opening the package. The, uh, for those of us who don't have that problem, uh, there is the question of whether we always need to be buying new. Um, one of my sons is an environmental zealot and he almost never buys anything new. He and his wife go to uh, a, a secondhand store and they need clothing. It's remarkable the quality of things that can be found in recycled stores. Um, <clears throat> the, 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 less we, the less we buy, the less effort are, needs to be put in collectively, globally, into producing the things that, that we do need. Um, <clears throat> uh, that we've uh, grown up in a throwaway society, uh, and, and that, that has its consequences as uh, as most dramatically shown by plastics and the plastics that enter our, our environment. Um, China, I think, did a great uh, service to us when, when they refused to accept our garbage. Yeah. Because for years, what has happened was that the recycled plastic ended up being shipped to China and then it became their problem. Okay, well, there. There are some good examples. We need to look at other countries as well. Another question that I had, David, was their carbon footprint. I'm not sure people always really understand what carbon footprint means, um, never mind how people can reduce their carbon footprint. Explain to us what that concept would mean. Well, the carbon footprint was an idea that uh, has probably been around for uh, 20 years. It was a way of um, helping people appreciate the degree to which uh, they are <clears throat> contributing to the problem of carbon dioxide loading in the atmosphere by <clears throat> using things that required uh, the, the burning of fossil fuels uh, in order to provide their life as they are living it. Uh, <clears throat> and so the carbon footprint measures um, the, uh, the amount of carbon that you use to drive your car, the amount of carbon that you use to heat your house, <clears throat> the amount of carbon that you, um, that, that you use in um, the consumption of the, the food you eat, um, <clears throat> uh, in, in all those other ways where you don't even appreciate that there's a carbon uh, element uh, associated with it. Uh, uh, the, the building of your home, the renovating of your home. At some level, it involves the use of, of power devices. At some level, it involves the use of materials uh, that were created using uh, energy, uh, typically coming from fossil fuels. Um, so there, there, there is an online thing. If you Google carbon footprint, it'll bring up uh, at least one site that has a, a place that you can answer a series of up to 20 questions uh, that give a clue to the kind of lifestyle that you have, uh, you and your family, if you have others living with you. Uh, and that'll, that'll provide you with a basic number. And uh, if you do that annually, 
uh, it'll indicate the trend uh, if you're making attempts to reduce the amount of, uh, of, of carbon that you are uh, adding to the atmosphere as a result of your lifestyle. Good advice. Another area, David, that I wanted to ask you about is flying. Of course, with COVID-19 right now, lots of people probably less thinking about uh, the, the hazards uh, connected with climate change, but more COVID. But overall, in the better days, but even as we get beyond the, the pandemic, why is avoiding flying a, a, a good choice? And what are the, the carbon offsets of, of doing that? Yeah, flying is uh, is the least uh, carbon efficient way of getting from here to there. Um, and as a person who wants to see the world, I'm, I must admit that uh, there is an element in myself that feels a, a bit of uh, environmental guilt every time I take a, a plane a plane trip. The suggestion really is that as as we move into the future, that individuals consider using other forms of transportation where it's practical, uh, even though it may be a little less convenient, for example, to take the train to New York rather than fly to New York, to take the train or drive to Florida rather than fly from Northern Virginia to Florida. Um, <clears throat> certainly, <laughs> there's no alternative to getting to Europe or getting to Asia than flying. And that's where the carbon offset idea comes in. Uh, an, an individual who does something like that appreciates that they, uh, that they have, uh, as a result of their personal trip, contributed to uh, the amount of carbon dioxide produced by the airplane as it flew across the ocean. Um, and uh, they can buy an offset, which can happen in many ways. The simplest one to think about is uh, the planting of trees. Uh, so there is a scheme whereby you can tax yourself and send a certain amount of money, uh, depending on the length of your, of your trip, uh, <clears throat> send a certain amount of money to an organization that is uh, audited that plants trees um, in places that have been denuded of trees. And the idea is that over time, that the growth of those trees to maturity will consume the amount of carbon that you have added to the atmosphere so that your trip over time becomes carbon neutral. Um, but I want to add to this that the airline industry is, is seriously looking at ways uh, in, in, to, uh, to reduce their own need to use uh, uh, fuel uh, that is fossil fuel based to get from here to there. Uh, they are seriously looking at uh, ways to, at least for certain kinds of flights, and fly uh, planes that are powered by batteries um, so that you can, in principle, charge your battery with wind power and fly your airplane for a, a short trip of 100 miles. Longer trips, that's probably not practical because of the weight of the batteries. And so what they're looking at is they're looking at ways of using uh, biofuel, ways of, uh, of producing fuel to fly an airplane that, um, that, 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 that uh, use na natural materials that have 
suck the carbon out of the atmosphere and for in order for the plant or the algae or whatever it is to, to grow up. Uh, I'm, I'm really excited about those opportunities. Um, and Scandinavian SAS uh, Air, Airlines has published in its, in its uh, onboard uh, plane journal, the, the book that you get on your plane. Uh, I certainly read about that and uh, I think it's a great opportunity for the future. There's no, no end to the inventiveness. Well, hopefully that will continue. Uh, I want to get back to you, Jan, about, uh, David mentioned briefly about preferred transportation alternatives. Did you want to add something to that as to rather than flying, and we're talking about on land as well as in the air or whatever, uh, do you want to add anything? Sure. Yeah, David mentioned trains. Trains are one of them. We ha Our country is full of train tracks, with train routes, and um, a lot of it, it's not fully used as much as it could be, which is a shame, because a lot of people in the past worked very hard um, to lay tracks throughout the country, but also because it's a much more, uh, it's, a, it's a preferred way to go, and plus it's lots of fun. Also, bicycles, bicycling around in cities, um, walking. Arlington has a, um, a pamphlet you can get and information on their site about a car-free diet, um, ways that people can avoid using um, cars in the county or using cars as much, um, switching to electric uh, public transportation in cities, buses, um, or even just using buses instead of cars to go places. You can travel cross country in a car or train. And another thing is that we don't think of this very much because I think of, or I don't, but I have a lot of family who live in Maine and, and I have been, um, that helps me to remember that ferries, we have a lot of water in um, our, our country is surrounded by water and there are a lot of inlets and, and ferries are used still in many parts of, of the country to go from one place to another. So it, by ferries, I mean ships, boats, and that, they're used a lot in, in Maine. Just as, uh, yeah, I don't, I, don't, I don't know a lot of details, but I do have been on these ferries and um, know that they're pretty safe and um, a lot of fun. I can add to that, ferries, uh, ferries can carry a lot of weight. And uh, as a result, uh, the, po the possibility of uh, electric-powered uh, ferries exists. And uh, my wife and I, last year in Norway, uh, took a ferry of that sort. Fossil fuel ferries. Well, we are just about out of time. So I just wanted to add two quick questions. David, can you give the information for older adults and uh, how they can become more involved with ECA? Can you give that website again and how they could join a local chapter? Yeah, again, the simplest way to do it is to, is to go to Google or another browser uh, search engine and put in Elders Climate Action and up will pop the website. And then on that website, uh, it's fairly easy to navigate. The, it's a newer website. And uh, 
it gives you an opportunity then to uh, learn about the organization, to find out about its policies and how it works. And then uh, there's a contact us place um, link and you can contact the organization uh, providing it, it'll ask you to provide uh, any information about your interest, whether you wanna receive notifications or not, and whether you're interested in, in joining uh, the local group. Uh, if you do express that interest, then we will be alerted and uh, we will get back to, uh, to the individuals who've expressed that interest and have an individual email exchange or a phone conversation. Okay, and then finally, Jan, did you have anything to add as to best resources to learn about the climate crisis and how to take action to address these issues? Uh, well, one, one very, very, very excellent resource is a, a book called Drawdown, or it's, it's, an, it's a whole movement actually, but um, a, a scientist, Paul Hawken, H-A-W-K-E-N, compiled this book. It's a book of ideas around the world about different ways to um, put carbon back into the earth. Yeah, Drawdown is a, is a really good uh, reference. Uh, as she mentioned, it's by Paul Hawken, and it provides uh, an, an indicator of the kinds of things that folks can do to, um, to assist in reducing the carbon load on the atmosphere. And it, and it indicates those in a priority setting, the top 10 and the next 10 and so on. So it's really a very good guide and it, and it, it, ex, it explains the science behind it and the rationale and the thinking. So certainly any, anybody who uh, is a kind of a bookish person, that's a great way to do it. Um, there are also a variety of uh, resources available on the ECA website, including films and TV uh, 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 things that are on YouTube uh, that will help individuals learn about these issues. Okay, well, we've got to close out here. I want to thank David Mogg and Jan Greenberg with Elders Climate Action for joining me today. And to learn more about Aging Matters, be sure to visit our new website at agingmattersonline.com. At this site, you can access all Aging Matters content in one place, as well as uh, access the Aging Matters podcasts on Apple and Spotify, and also subscribe to the Aging Matters monthly newsletter to receive email updates about new radio shows and TV episodes. I want to thank Robert Winship for handling the technical aspects of today's program. And as always, thank you for listening. Remember, age is just a number, not a label. I'll be back again with you next week. Aging Matters is sponsored in part by the Aging Life Care Association, an organization of aging life care professionals. Aging life care professionals offer guidance, advocacy, and support for older adults and their families in order to maximize quality of life. An aging life care professional can be there for your loved one when you can't be. More information about the Aging Life Care Association is available at www.aging.org. MidAtlanticALCA.org.